give it up for David as he hobbles off the stage. It takes it takes it takes some time. It takes some time. Come on, somebody. Oh goodness. Yeah, I I am. I'm just so blessed. So very very blessed to to be with you guys and share God's word. Um, hey, let me pray one more time. I'm sorry. <clears throat> hey, Lord Jesus, may you speak loudly this morning. For the growth of your people, for the glory of your name. Jesus, may you be made famous. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm reading a story recently uh, about a young man in the 1970s named Jadiv. Jadiv lived in India, and uh, he, he grew up in this kind of, um, this, this village, but outside the village was just this kind of abandoned, like, dusky kind of sandy desert kind of atmosphere and, and there's something in Jadeev's that was like now nah, this isn't okay so he goes to some uh farmers nearby and he gets some seedlings for some bamboos and then he he gets a plant and he walks to this area and Jadeev plants a plant there and and puts in the ground the seedlings of the bamboo and then he does this the next day and the next day and it's one plant at a time, two plants at a time that, that he begins to put into the ground. 37 years later, with the help of, of botanists from around the world and scientists, but really it's the sweat equity of Jadiv, this little venture turns into a forest. A forest that measures 1,360 acres, where now... Bengal tigers, rhinoceros, all types of exotic animals live in this sanctuary that this one man who saw a, a barren ground and what many people thought was an adversity that could not be overcome, this young man saw this adversity as an opportunity. And things grew. Things flourished makes me think what if we as followers of jesus christ what if we as journeymen saw our adversities as opportunities this is what happens at the end of the life of elijah elisha elisha is God's mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. He's God's man. He speaks on behalf of God. He directs the nation and the king as to what God desires. And Elisha wants in his final act to show that adversity is simply adversity until we put it in the Lord's hands and it turns into opportunity. Elisha, in 2 Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 13, is speaking to Joash, the king of Israel. And Elisha says this. If you've got a Bible, you can take it out or you can see the giant Bibles next to me. He says this. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with illness to which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. This is a call back to when Elisha saw Elijah the prophet before him, taken up in the whirlwind. And as Elijah was being taken up into the whirlwind, Elisha said, 
the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. This is saying there goes the leader of Israel. And now here the king is seeing Elisha in his waning moments and is crying out to him, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He's saying, Elisha, you are the leader. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and the arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot the arrow. And Elisha says to him, the Lord's arrow of victory. As the arrow propels out the window, Elisha says, the Lord's arrow of of victory. The victory over Syria. Syria was a nation that was combative with the Israel nation. For you shall fight the Syrians at Aphek until you have made an end of them. And then he says this. Look at this. Elisha says, take the arrows. Somebody say, take the arrows. And Joash took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Somebody say, strike the ground. Now, this doesn't mean that he was literally hitting the arrows to the ground. The translation is that Elisha now took the arrows out of the quiver, put them into the bow, and Elisha is saying, shoot them at the ground. And he struck three times and stopped. Joash shoots three arrows at the ground and stops. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have. Somebody say, should have. You should have struck five or six times, and then you would have, somebody say would have, struck down Syria until you had made an end of them. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. The prophet says to the king, there is the Lord's victory. You are shooting at your enemy. There is the Lord's victory. And then then says right back after. Now take the same arrows and strike the ground. Shoot them at the ground. And Joash shoots one, two, three shots and stops. And Elisha says you should have and you would have. Aaron McManus, I I asked you this question to start with. How many arrows of victory are in your hand? How many arrows, opportunities of victory are you currently holding in your grasp? But there is some weaning in your conviction, in your spirit, in your certainty, in your trust. And you're holding them right there in your hand. Rather than aiming them at your enemy and shooting for the victory. Speaker and author, Pastor and author Ernie McManus says this. He says, if you truly live before you die, if you truly live before you die, your life will have power and not even death can conquer. If you truly live before you die, your life will have power that not even death can conquer. If there is an inkling, if a mustard seed of inkling of faith and trust and conviction inside of you, even past this life, Death cannot even conquer you. You see this play out in the life of Elisha. 
You see, after Elisha dies, because he dies right after this, after Elisha dies, his bones is put in a tomb, and, and some men are walking by with their friend who is also dead, and they take their friend because they're being attacked by the Moabites. They take their friend and throw their friend into Elisha's tomb, and the man's body touches the bones of Elisha, and the man comes back to life. Because the faith was so deep in the man of God. Because the faith was so rich inside the man of God. The king grabs all the arrows but only shoots four. One with the hand of Elijah. One with the aid of Elijah. And we think to ourselves, I can't do that. I can only do so much. I'm new to faith. I don't know enough. I don't act right enough. See, our uncertainty in our knowledge and our faith ability often keep us from the God opportunities standing right in front of us. Often keep us holding on to the arrows of victory. When God is simply saying, shoot. Where God is saying, strike the ground. See, oftentimes, God will give us a victory to show us his sovereignty. You may have gone through a season in your life, and God gives you a victory. Maybe not the final victory, but it's a sign, a foreshadowing. And God's saying, listen, I am sovereign. I am in control. I want to set an example for you so that you know when you are struck in difficulty again, that you will know that I am there. It's, 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 it's a representation of who he is. You see, Joash represents the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel in the text actually represents us, followers of Jesus Christ. All throughout the nation of Israel, through the existence of the nation of Israel, we see the cycle of sin where there is a redemptive process uh, with God is continually be at work through a sacrifice, and that happens over and over and over again. So when you read the Old Testament and you see the nation of Israel, that is actually a, a picture of us as God's followers. So he's saying, trust me, I am sovereign, and I am in control of all things. But now that the prophet is gone that represents my guiding hand, will you still worship and trust me? Friends, I asked you this question this morning. Is this the most spiritual 60 minutes of your week? Is this the most spiritual that it's going to be? Is this going to be the closest connection to Christ that you have this week if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? When the worship leader... He's put his hands on your heart and is guiding you in worship. When the pastor brings the word and is guiding you in the word. Is this the only time you're going to open up the scriptures? The text this week, when, when they tell you to look to the big screens on the side. Is this the only time that your kids are going to hear the word of God when the children's workers are guiding their hand? Because our inability to trust and to deepen our own faith keeps us from winning the victory. And many of you, your victory isn't out there. Your victory is right here. The victory that God wants to win in your heart, that God wants to win in your life, is this 14 inches from your brain to your heart. Some of you, it's the 10 inches, 6 inches, 7 inches between your two ears. But God is saying, do you trust me enough to strike the ground? So friends, this morning I want to offer you six techniques when aiming for victory. 
Six techniques for when aiming for victory. Number one, shooting your arrow requires effort and accuracy. Shooting your arrow requires effort and accuracy. Elisha is asking Joash, he's asking him to be active. Be active and, and, and specific in this next movement. This is literally kind of a call to prayer. It's a model of prayer that he's having him do. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says this, ask why that person keeps calling and shut off the phone. No, he says, (laughs) he says, Matthew 7, verse 7, I'm just playing with you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus saying, I want to give you good things. But it requires something of you. If you are waiting for Jesus to walk through the door, you can't sit on the other side and go, well, well. I'm just waiting. There's an active effort that means I got to knock on the door. And I can't knock on just any door. I've got to knock on the door of the house of God. Faith growth doesn't happen by accident. Come on, somebody, listen to me. Your faith growth won't happen by accident. You're not one day just going to wake up and know this understand this it is a process it is a process paul writes in colossians whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters he's talking to slaves here but there's a translation to us whatever it is i do i must work at it with my whole heart as if working for the lord not for human hands now listen those of you who do know the word of god who do study the text if you're studying the text but you're studying the text at mediocrity and you're studying the text out of obligation guess what that's not spiritual growth if you're showing up here out of obligation not devotion to the to god that is not spiritual growth effort in our jesus walk must be done with a a a heart of purity directed at the king. I love the way that Dr. Martin Luther King says this to a group of junior hires. Dr. King said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well work out your faith like james talks about in such a way that the heavenly host will have to stop singing glory 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 is the lord god almighty that they'll have to stop and look down and go there is an hr worker who is working for the glory of god there is a teacher who is teaching for the glory of God. There is a housewife who is raising those little hellions for the glory of God. A required effort and a required focus. 
Number two, shoot, shooting your arrow requires instruction and help from God. This is very simple. Elisha had to give first the instructions. And Elisha had to give the help for Joash to shoot the first arrow. God gives us the instruction. God gives us the help. And he does so through God's word and through God's people. Paul writes this to Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word isn't an ancient mythological. This isn't a kind of life for dummies book. These 66 books inspired and breathed by God. Powered through the Holy Spirit. Are the roadmap that God's given us for our life on this side of the cross. So one glad morning when the sky is open. That we before we fly away will not be flying away into a distant world that we don't understand. But we will be walking into the new heaven. But we had heaven here on earth. And it is just completing in all of the righteousness of God. But so many of us. We miss it. Because we're walking this faith journey out on our own. Listen, you know what I know about some of y'all? You will not go to the Target that you've been shopping at for 10 years. You will not drive to that Target without putting into your phone the, the, the coordinates of it. <laughs> Siri and Alexa have more control and instruction in your life than the Word of God does. And you're wondering why you're upside down. The more and more my heart, I feel like my heart's separating from the Father. God, ain't, God hasn't gone anywhere. It's me who's distanced myself from his word. It's me who's distanced myself from his people. You see, that gap, that gap gives the enemy a lot of space to do some damage. See, sometimes we think that, the, that, that, that Satan, we think that Satan's like a, like a I don't know, I don't know. Like a, I don't know, whatever. We think Satan's like just out, just like, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight him. I'm going to fight him up close. Bah, bah, bah. Satan ain't into hand-to-hand combat. He lost that battle already. He knows. You know, all he wants to do is distance us from the Father. He wants to distance us. He wants our minds focused on everything else so that it wouldn't be focused on the instructions of God and the people of God. Number three, shooting your arrow has to be done without knowing the exact outcome ahead of time. I often find, my, I often find myself not willing to do anything until I know exactly how it's going to turn out. Anybody like that? You're like, you, just, you, got, you got analysis, you got paralysis by analysis. It's like, I'm not going to do anything until I, until I know exactly how this all works out. I'm not going to shoot that arrow, God, because I don't know how it's going to work out for me. God, I'm not going to step out in faith like that. I don't know. The writer of Hebrews says like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence of what we hope for. And you got to understand even that hope 
the closer and closer I get to Jesus, the more and more I become like the person of Jesus. He begins to realign my hopes so that my hopes become his hopes. And then I get this assurance, this confident assurance for what I yet do not see. Another way of thinking about this is a quiet certainty. It's a quiet certainty. You ever met somebody who walks around with quiet certainty? They're that kind of Christian that no matter what's happening, they're just tiptoeing through life. You know these people because they got, they got just swag like, mm. just step into Jesus. I know a woman like this. Her name is Janet. She's my first senior pastor's wife. Janet, when I saw her, it was like I was looking at the Virgin Mary. She was just always just tiptoeing through life. Because there was this peace in her, this confidence that God was and is in control. But many Christians, we never move past this justification stage. Justification, it simply means to be made right with God. We never move past the sinner prayer part. When we raise our hand and say, I accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, and, and Jesus ransoms us from the, to the depths of sin, and he, and, he, and he embraces us into the family of God. We never move past that because our faith isn't in, is, is it in connection with the transformative power of God. The real work begins to, done, begins to be done in the sanctification process, the process of becoming more like the person of Jesus, the process when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict our heart, where we allow our actions and deeds to look like the person of Jesus, and our submission goes to God the Father. In sanctification, that's when we become our truest selves, ourselves that Christ desires for us to be. But there's this passivity in us, that keeps us right there because we can't see what's around the faith corner. We can't see that God is waiting for us to shoot our belief arrow. Saying, God, I believe in you. I have a deep-rooted faith in you. Number four, shooting your arrow is an ineffective when not repeated enough because of a lack of confidence in the process. Paul says in, the, in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing. We are to pray without ceasing. You see what Joash's problem was? Joash, he wasn't a worshiper of false gods. He was a false worshiper of the true God. Joash was a person, and you see this in, in chapter 12 and even the beginning of chapter 13, that Joash was doing his own thing. He, left a life, he led a life of disobedience against the ways and, and ordinances of God. And then he wanted God to operate under the tyranny of his urgency. He sees the prophets about to die, and Joash is like, whoa, 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 Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need some help with my bills. Whoa, 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 Jesus. I've never read a scripture to my son or daughter, but now they're 15 and they're going nuts. Now I need some help. The tyranny of the urgency. Oh, Lord Jesus, oh, we need help with our marriage. We didn't do anything for 20 years, and now the kids are gone, and we're left in this house, and now we got to get along with each other? You can't operate out of convenience and then ask God to be involved in the tyranny of your urgency. 
there must be this consistency, this repeated effort to seek the person of God in all situations, in all climates, in all environments. You can't let anything, I can't let anything get in the way of me talking to my father. Nehemiah gets a word from the Lord that he is to go back and build the walls. Build the walls in God's city. And Nehemiah goes to the king, the person who can give him earthly things that he needs to accomplish this heavenly mission. He goes to the king. Look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. The king said to him, what is it you want? He looks at Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, what is it you want? Because he has the means to give it to him. What's it say next, friends? What's it say next? No, no, let's read it. Say it out loud. Then I prayed. The king says, Nehemiah, what do you need? And while he's standing in front of the person who can give him what he needs, Nehemiah says, then I prayed. Standing in front of the king, he doesn't answer the king. He goes and talks to the real person in charge. And this isn't a singular moment in the life of Nehemiah. Eight times in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah spouts off into spontaneous prayer, seeking God's guidance, seeking God's instruction, seeking God's way so that he will lack, he will not lack confidence in the process to accomplish this heavenly mission. Friends, I ask you, how often are you talking to the king? How often am I talking to the king? It's about consistency here. It's about consistency. If I won't go to the God with the little things, you know what ends up happening when you won't go to God with the little things? You're afraid to go to him with the big things. Because guilt and shame take over. And you know what you know. You had little adversities that you could have brought to the king. And now there's a there's a there's a there's a reluctancy in you when the big things really come. Consistently. In every occasion, in every environment, man, I want some of y'all to go to work tomorrow. And when sad Sally comes up to you tomorrow, trying to ruin your Monday. That you would, that you, even in the midst of her talking, you'd be like, oh, Lord Jesus, tell sad Sally to be quiet. No, 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 no I'm kidding. <laughs> but, 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 but even in that, that you would say, Lord Jesus, do not let this negativity roll into my heart. Lord Jesus, may your countenance be upon my face as I walk into this meeting. Most, more people need to pray that. Lord Jesus, may your countenance be upon my face as I walk into this room. Some of y'all need to tell your face that you have been saved by grace. Because your face looks like you're heading somewhere else. <laughs> Number five, that one was a free. Shoot your arrow, shooting your arrow has a strategic moment, and when that moment passes, it is gone. Elisha says to the king, you should have, and then you would have. You should have shot five or six times, and then you would have had the victory over the Syrians. It, this is a deal, my friends. We have got to get ahead of it. 
We have got to get ahead of it so that the should-haves and the would-haves don't stop our story and our opportunity to impact this world for Christ Jesus. And there are moments where God opens up a window for you to shoot your arrow of victory through. But you know what you're too busy doing? You're standing in front of the door, waiting. This door's not opening for me. Door for this new job's not opening. This door for this new relate. Single people. God has opened up some windows of opportunity for you, but you're standing in front of this door of Tinder. And you're like, when's this going to happen? You're standing in front of this door of that guy you shouldn't be with. You're standing in front of this door of that woman you shouldn't be with. When God's opened up some opportunities right in this room, and you're too busy to look around. You're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right? How about you look for Mr. or Mrs. Right now? Right? <laughs> hey. They might be here. God has some opportunities, but we're too busy to miss them. See, you can drift in a sea of contemplation or you can decide right here, right now, in this moment that I will take action in my faith. See, my wife is very much more spiritual than I am. You'll get to know that as, as she comes down from time to time. Jen is much more spiritual than I am. So we just moved. We, 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 still, we live in Sacramento. So we just moved and to, a new, to another house in Sacramento. And uh, our neighbors, this, this woman, she's a single mom. She has five kids, five little kids underneath, underneath the age of eight, I think. Underneath the age of ten with a little baby. And you know what I did when I got home the other day? I ran inside because I got my own kids to worry about. <laughs> but because my wife is like Jesus, even though she has tons of boxes in our living room to unpack because I'm not going to do it, <laughs> she walks outside out of her comfort zone, out of her, her convenience, and sits and talks with this mom. Gets to know her story. Begins the process of ministering to her. Through a, a, a lifestyle of evangelism. My friends, you should have reached out to that person in your office. You should have reached out to your son or daughter that's walked away from Christ. You should have brought your husband or your wife to church with you this morning instead of showing up alone. And God would have. You should have and God would would have this is for the christians listen you can be fishers of men or keepers of the aquarium it's up to you number six failing to shoot your arrow often hurts others not only yourself Failing to shoot your arrow will hurt others and not only yourself. When King Joash had the opportunity to shoot the arrows, he was probably thinking to himself, this is just a small thing. What's the difference between three or four, God? What's the difference between two or six, God? It won't make a difference. I can't make a difference, God. His seemingly small action was vitally connected to the victory of the entire nation. Your small step of obedience can have greater impact in the lives of others. Friends, others are watching us to watch our faithfulness. Before they embark into a relationship with Jesus, they're watching us to watch our faithfulness. They're watching us to watch how we respond to other Christians. 
They're watching us to, re- to watch how we respond to people who are far from Christ, to people who don't hold the same standards and morals as we do. And, and, and listen, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Stop expecting people who have different beliefs than you to think the same thing that you think and being upset at them because they don't have the same worldview as you do. Love them into the kingdom. Love them into the flock. And my friends, remember the day before you had tasted grace. Remember the day before. Christians forget about the day before. Remember that day. And extend that same arm of grace that was extended to you. But we get so caught up in ourselves We end up hurting the others around us. Look what it says in Mark chapter 9. There was a man in the crowd who answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed with a spirit, and he has robbed him of speech. Whenever it it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. These same men that had been given the grace when Jesus saw them fishing and said, Come on and follow me. This man comes with his son who is in need and who is in trouble, and they don't got no arrows to shoot. Jesus says to them, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long do I got to keep holding on to the arrow? How long? Look at me, friends. How long Jesus got to hold on to the arrow for you? How long Jesus got to do the shooting? For you. A man says to Jesus. If you can do anything. Have compassion on us. And help us. Jesus said. If you can. See the man feels bad for himself. And the man is seeking pity. Friends God isn't into throwing pity parties. He's into throwing galas of grace. This man is looking at Jesus like, if you can, maybe, oh, God, maybe you can do something. I don't know, maybe. Jesus says to him, all things are possible for the one who believes. My friend, do you believe that? That all things are possible for the ones who believe. The victory isn't just against the Syrians. The victories are in your home. They're in your workplace. The victories are in your heart and in your mind of the things you've been struggling with, of the things that have been keeping you far from God. Jesus says, with my power, all things are possible. Immediately, the father and the child cried out. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. I give it to you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. I trust you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. I submit to you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Jesus can do the next part if we do our part. But when you're still waiting on him to help me shoot the arrow, God. You ever seen somebody shoot an arrow like this? That's how a lot of y'all shooting arrows. Oh, see what happens. Because you're afraid to shoot the arrow. You're shooting the arrow, but you keep looking at your past brokenness, your lack of, your sin, your your, your addictions, and then again, I can't shoot the arrow. You can't shoot the arrow when you're looking in the rearview mirror. I made me mess up my microphone. You can't shoot forward when you're looking backwards. In 1954, 
1954, Roger Bannister was the fastest man in the world. He ran the mile in under four minutes. It's a miracle that he ran a mile, period. But that's my own problem. <laughs> and Bannister, and Bannister only held on to this title for 46 days before John Landry came and beat his time. So the two men got together for this epic race called the Miracle Mile to see who, in fact, was the fastest man in the world. They take off, and Landry has a significant lead. He is in control of the race for lap one, for lap two, for lap three. Landry is in a commanding position, but then he makes a crucial error. Landry looks over his shoulder. He looks back. Go ahead, throw that up. He looks back over his shoulder. And in that moment, Bannister runs by him, wins the race, is now still celebrated as one of the greatest track and field stars of all time, while Landry is just a footnote. When John Landry was interviewed by the New York Times, excuse me, by the Time magazine, he said this. If I hadn't looked back, I would have won. You know what my title was at the beginning? My title was Six Techniques to Aim for Victory. God just gave you the technique to win the victory, to aim for victory. You're not going to get that victory if you keep looking back. If you keep looking back to your past sins, if you keep looking back to your past problems instead of looking to a future-focused God. Friends, I want to challenge you and encourage you to keep shooting. To keep shooting in the battle against sin. Keep shooting in the direction of a Christ-centered knowledge. Keep shooting in the direction of a deepened faith. Keep shooting to do more for the kingdom of God. Keep shooting because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're shooting at you. But God has given you keys and techniques to win your victory. Do you trust him enough to take your shot? Just stand to your feet. I've asked the worship team to lead us in this, this tune I tried to sing. We sing this around my house poorly, but we sing it. Anyways, as we trust and believe in the Father God, that he is a way maker, that he is a miracle worker, that he is a promise keeper, that he is light in the darkness. Anybody living in darkness last night? That he is light even in that darkness. That's who he is. And some of you sitting, standing here this morning, you can't shoot the arrow because you have no guide. With all eyes closed, with all heads bowed. If you're standing in this room right now, and this sounds good to you, but, but you don't even have the guide. And you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. And you want to accept him. You want this way maker to make a difference in your life. You want to be able to aim confidently and win the victory. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, with all eyes closed, with all heads bowed, just me looking. Would you just throw that hand up and say yes I need that. I see that hand. Praise Jesus. I see that hand. Praise Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the quiet of your heart, just say this prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you for forgiveness for my sins. I ask you to be the way maker. 
I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Give me the victory. Give me the victory. If you just prayed that prayer afterwards, I want you to go to the prayer team in the back corner and ask somebody to pray for you. Tell them about the decision you made. The rest of us, let's sing our, this song together. Let's lift our voices together to ask God to continue to do things in the spaces and the places that only he can. Father God, may you speak in the lives of my brothers and sisters this morning. May you enable them, Lord Jesus, to confidently shoot and aim for the victory that was won on Mount Calvary for the sake of our sins. We worship you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.